I want to ask you, what's the worst advice you ever received? Immediately, some of you are remembering. I, I think we've all been given some bad advice, but what's the worst advice that you've ever actually acted on? This week I was reading some great stories of some really bad advice, and I, some of us might have some, some touch points, but I don't know that they were as bad as some of these. In 1962, there was a man by the name of Dick Rowe, and, and Dick Rowe was an executive at, at Decca Records, and he had the opportunity to really process a lot of new acts coming up, and there was this new guitar act that came, but Dick Rowe and his advisors were under the impression that guitar groups were on their way out. Little did he know. And so this group of four guys came in, recorded a, a 12-album record, and he said no and passed on them. It turned out that he was the one that passed on the Beatles, right? Talk about bad advice. Not just the Beatles either. He, he passed on Jimi Hendrix, right? Like, it just, come on, it's just terrible advice. How many of you remember the Hindenburg? I don't know if any of you remember it, but how many of you have heard of the Hindenburg? <laughs> One guy's like, oh, man, I was on that thing. <laughs> but the Hindenburg, you know, this was going to be the new way to travel across the Atlantic, right? And so they made these floating airship, as they called it. And so this was going to be the new wave. And so the architect began asking advice for how to make it float. And he received the advice that you should put hydrogen in the tank rather than helium. Well, if you don't know by now, hydrogen is flammable, and when it tried to dock, it exploded. Come on, bad advice. Now, we get bad advice all the time, but do we act on it? Today, we're going to look at a story in the book of Second Chronicles of the worst advice that was acted upon, and it ended up dividing the entire kingdom, splitting apart what God had been working to build. So if you have your Bibles, if you're not there yet, flip to 2 Chronicles chapter 10, and uh, we're going to read about King Rehoboam today. There was a quote I came across this week by author John uh, Ron, and it's this. You guys have heard this quote before. It said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. How many of you guys have heard that quote? Some of you have read his book, right? You're the average of the people that you spend the time, most time with. There's another kind of saying that goes along with it. It says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think there's, uh, however you, you want to phrase this, the idea is this. Pay attention to the people you spend your time with because they're going to influence you and they're going to impact your life. But here's the question I want to ask today. Is John right? Are you the average of the five people you spend the most time with? What do you think? Somebody tell me. Is, is he right or is he wrong? So actually, he's wrong. You guys are like, oh, come on, come on. You're not limited to the five. It's so much bigger than that. You are the, the average of, of your friends and your friends' friends and your friends' friends' friends. The people that impact in your life and speak into your life is so much bigger than just your small circle. There was a study I read about this week called the Framington Hearts Survey. And what they were doing is they were looking at different health issues and what leads to the, the social pressure of why people fall into different uh, patterns in life. And they, they, they did a 30-year study. So this is over three decades. And they were looking at friends and they were looking at family and friends of friends. And they found that your friends impact you, but so do your friend of the friend, even if you don't know them. And even does the friend of the friend of the friend, even if you don't know them. And so they did a study, and there was three things that really jumped out to me. The first one was this, that if your friend is a smoker, now remember, this was 
you know, 30 years ago, so much more rebellion. But if you had a friend that smoked cigarettes, you were 61% more likely to smoke cigarettes. If your close friend smoked cigarettes, right? Interesting. But if your friend's friend smoked cigarettes, but your friend didn't, you were still 29%, almost a third percent more likely to smoke. And then if a friend of a friend of a friend smoked, still 11% more likely to smoke. They, they, they looked at eating habits, and I know this one's near and dear to my heart. So they looked at eating habits, right? Thankfully, they didn't look at any barbecue restaurant surveys. But they, they looked at eating habits, and they found that for people that, 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 um, that get into an unhealthy lifestyle of eating and they end up gaining weight, if your friend does that, you're 45% more likely to do the same. If the friend of a friend adds weight from unhealthy eating habits, that your likelihood of increasing is 20%. And then how about a friend of a friend of a friend? It's still 10%. Now, let's flip it on its head. Let's not talk about the negative. Let's talk about the positive. How about happiness? So there was another survey that was done, and it found this, that if you get a $10,000 raise, a $10,000 bump in salary, how much do you think your happiness will increase, according to this survey? 2%, right? So if you get a $10,000 raise, your happiness, supposedly, is going to increase 2%. But here's what this Framington Heart survey found, that if you have a friend that's a happy person, then your, your likelihood of becoming happy yourself is 6% greater. So guys, it's not all about the cash, right? It's about the friends. Go find some happy friends, and it's going to make a huge difference in your life. So what we're seeing is it does matter. The people you circle in your circle, the people you hang out with, the people that are in your friend's circles and your friend's friend circle, it impacts your life. It impacts your happiness. It impacts all of the things that you experience. So as we get started today, as we look at kind of the cautionary tale of having bad influences in your life, ask yourself, who's in your life? Who's your friend group? Who are you hanging out with work, right? Who are your buddies on the softball team? And are they the kind of people that are leading you to become the best version of yourself? Are you around the right influences? Today we're going to see in 2 Chronicles chapter 10 that new King Rehoboam isn't. He gets around the wrong people, and it ends up taking him down the wrong path. And by the end of our time today, we're going to see that the kingdom of Israel has split, and it's become really ugly. So um, let's look here in 2 Chronicles chapter 10. If uh, you guys are new with us, this, this year we're walking through a series called The Greater Story. And we're seeing that there is this thread that runs from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22 of God's redemption and God bringing his people together. And so we've been camped out in an old kingdom series this summer, seeing the kings of Israel. And so we've seen King David, King Solomon, and now we see that King Solomon has has gotten old, he's passed away, and now his son, Rehoboam. Somebody say Rehoboam. That's a good one. Name your dog Rehoboam, right? If you need, we're going to call him Rebo for short, right? But Rehoboam is now king. And we're going to see that Rehoboam just doesn't know how to include the right people in his life. And he, he has a chance to do something special. And he's seen his dad get a divided heart, as we saw last week, if you're with us. So what happens to Rehoboam? Well, let's read together. Chapter 10. This is the story of Rehoboam. It says this, that Rehoboam went to, to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. So imagine it's like a coronation ceremony. You know, you're watching all of the tribes come together to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, notice that name, hold on to that one. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. That's not a good sign. 
Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all of Israel came to Rehoboam. Keep all the boams straight. Your father made, and here's what they said. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And so they ask him, hey, we've got a request. And so Rehoboam says to them, okay, come back to me in three days. Give, give me three days to think about it. So let me add a little color to what's going on here. What, happen, what had happened when Solomon was king was he jacked up the taxes. Solomon's kingdom was rich and wealthy, and Solomon had gotten a big head, and he decided it's time, we need more. And so the people had a huge tax burden on their backs. And so now Rehoboam is king, and they ask Rehoboam, hey, give us a break. Like your dad, he put a heavy tax burden on our back. Give us a break, and we will be your people. And so Rehoboam hears this, and he goes back, and he's going to process it. And so what does he do? I want you guys to ask yourself, like, when you have a decision to make, when you have a big decision, I mean, he's just been coronated as king. This is the first thing they've asked him. When somebody brings something to you, or let's say you have a job decision to make, you have a relationship decision to make, how do you process that? I mean, some of you guys, you're probably quick at the handle, right? You pull the trigger quick, but others, you guys might be very slow to process. Who do you talk to? When you need to ask advice, who do you go to? I want you to see Rehoboam. He actually does the right thing first. He actually goes to people who have wisdom to offer. Notice what happens in verse 6. It says this, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. Now, the old men is a way of saying the wise men, the guys that served his father. So he's not at Hardee's drinking coffee, right? Like he's actually talking to some wise people. So Rehoboam took, I mean, I'm sure there's some wisdom at Hardee's. If you guys are going to Hardee's too, a lot of good things at Hardee's going on. But Carl's Jr., I guess, out here. So Rehoboam goes and talks to the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer the people? So he's got the right idea. He goes and talks to people that know how to run a country. These are the guys that ran Israel with his dad. And, and he, so he goes to these guys. What, he says, you know, how would you advise me? And notice what they say in verse 7. And they said to him, well, it would be good to, if you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Good advice. Hey, Rehoboam, you're just now coming into your kingship. Listen to the people. If you're asking these people to serve you and to, to be your people Listen to them. This is good advice, really good advice. I want you to, to think about how much wisdom Rehoboam would have learned in his life, right? His dad was Solomon. And we know his dad drifted in the, in the later years, but his dad wrote the book of Proverbs. His dad wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He would have heard verses like Proverbs eleven fourteen that says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But a people fall, but in, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. He would have learned these things. So he gets this really good advice. And what does he do? Notice verse 8. It says that he abandoned it. It says in verse 8, he abandoned the counsel that the wise men, the old men gave him. And he took counsel with the young men who he had grown up with and had stood before him. If you have the, if you, maybe you read the NIV, it says he rejected. So he gets good advice and he rejects it. Why? Like, why would he do that? What do you think it was? 
because it wasn't what he wanted to hear. And what do you think about your own life? Let's be honest for a moment. Don't we often know the answer we want to hear before we ask give our advice? I mean, let's be honest. Has anybody ever really went in stone cold, didn't know what you wanted to do when you asked for advice? I mean, maybe once or twice, but you know what you want to do. When you go home and ask your lady, hey, what do you think if I bought that new 2022 Chevy Silverado Trail Boss, right? I know you're going to ask. It's only $79,000, right? I know you're going to say, right, I'm not really, I don't know that I really want it or no, you want that thing. And so you put together a PowerPoint presentation. You got the guy from Chevy coming over to have a conversation, right? You leave the room kind of thing. Like, you know what you want before you ask it. You might get a job offer. You, there's something going on in here before you go and ask your mentor or your dad or your mom or whoever it is in your life that speaks into you. So we know what we want, don't we? Usually, before we ask. But, but, but what happens when we get the answer we don't want, which happens a lot? We have a t- habit of tuning them out, don't we? When I, I got a really ridiculous story. When I was in high school, most of my stories are ridiculous, but this one is too. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was 17, and I saw an ad in the newspaper about uh, a job, sales job, where you could make $10,000 a month. And I thought, oh, man, this is calling my name, Right? So I show up for the interview process, and it's vacuum cleaner sales. And as you guys could probably tell, I was, I'm, I'm just made for vacuum cleaner sales. That's just my skill set. And so I go to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, this is it. Like, I'm, you know, just think of all, I can help, Dad, I can help you pay for retirement. Think of the car I can buy, right? And my dad's like, son, it's going to be a terrible job. You're going to spend all your money on gas and you're not going to make any money at all. And I'm like, Dad, you don't know know what you're talking about. So I was mad at him. And so I did what every 17-year-old kid does who's mad at their dad. They do the opposite, right? So I went and got the job, and I spent the whole summer selling vacuum cleaners. So I sold two, one to my grandma, right? (laughs) Grandma, I love you. And, And you know what? She'll tell you, it ran for like 20 years, right? I think she just did it out of the goodness of her heart. But then I sold another one to somebody else, but basically at cost, right? So I didn't make any money. I spent all my money on gas, right? It's like, Dad, you're right. But I was mad that he told me the opposite of what I wanted. We've all been there. When we ask advice, we tend to go in with our own preferences. And then when we don't hear what we want, we end up rejecting their advice. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise, man's listen, a wise man listens to advice. So if you're, if you're taking notes at home, I, here, here's a thought. Seeking advice without a humble heart causes us to miss wisdom. When we go to somebody and we come and we want what we want and we don't have humility at heart, we're going to miss the wisdom they have to share. Especially the fact that God uses people in your life all the time to speak into your life. And so some of you right now, you guys might be waiting on an answer and people are speaking into your life, but it's not what you want to hear. So you keep waiting for a different answer. And waiting for a different answer doesn't make it the right answer. And so this is what Rehoboam does. He doesn't get the answer he wants, so he goes to his buddies because he he thinks that they're going to be able to give him the one that he wants. And notice what happens here in verse 9. So he goes, and in verse 9, he he asks his, his buddies what they think he should do. And notice what he said. It says that he abandoned it in verse 9, and he said to, his, he said to them, his friends, in, um, 
In verse 9, what, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke and your father, that your father put on us? And verse 10, and the young men who had grown up with him said, these are his buddies, these are the people in the royal court that grew up with him, these are his friends, these are also people who have something to gain from him being king. So keep that in mind too. And they said to him, thus, you sh- thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lightened it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. It's kind of a weird saying, but my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Yeah, good advice, right? Yeah, so the old wise guys say, listen to him. But his buddies are like, man, Rebo, drop the hammer on him. How dare they ask you for that? Show them who's boss. Tell, show them that you're more powerful than their, your daddy even was. So how do you think that goes? So I think there's a reality when we, when we think about the people that speak into our lives and we think about the advice that others give us. The people closest to you want what's best for you. The people that's closest to you want you to be happy. Your best friends, your best coworkers, your family wants you guys to thrive. But if you get the wrong people in your life, yes, they're going to want what's best for you, but they also want what's best for them. So imagine these friends of Rehoboam. Sure, they're his buddies. So it's like, yeah, Rehoboam, be the man. But also they know the more money that comes in, the more power he has, the more power for them. The more money they're going to have, the more lives of luxury they're going to live. So I want you guys to consider this. The people in your life, the people that you're closest to, the people you ask for advice, Do they want what's best for you? Most likely. But do they want what's best overall? Do they want what's best for the kingdom of God? Do they want what's best not just for you and not just for them, but for everyone? Because I think you need to process our friends through this. We need to process our advisors through this. Are they yes men or yes women? Are they actually going to speak truth into your life when you need it? And in the ministry, to be honest, we do see this all the time. We, we, we talk with people who say, you know, I'm walking through a really hard season at work or in a relationship or I don't like my living situation and my friends are telling me I should do this. Pastor, what do you think, right? And most, so often the time, a very high percentage of people will say, well, my friends have, asked, have told me that I just need to get out, that I need to quit that job today and not even look for a new one. I mean, you guys have had conversations with friends like this. But what if what God wants for you isn't for you just to get out? What if God's trying to teach you something by staying in? What if God's trying to teach you something by hanging into that job until God opens the door for the next one? What if God's trying to to grow you and give that relationship to him and he can repair that? What if moving on isn't the right thing for your, your kids and their friends and all of these things? There's so much bigger than a quick decision on what makes me happiest. We found out early, go find somebody who else is happy, right? And they'll help make you happy. And so I think there's a, there's a reality that God wants us to understand. It's this, that when you ask for advice, when you're asking other people for advice, who you ask is just as important as what you ask. You ask the wrong people who are just going to say yes or are going to be all about you or them, they're going to lead you down the wrong path. And this is exactly what is happening to, to Rehoboam right here. What are you in your life right now waiting on? What questions are you asking? What advisors or what advice are you asking? I think all of us at some level are, are asking something. 
All of us at some level are leaning on other people to speak into our life. How is God speaking to you? And who has God put in your circle? Who are you asking right now? So, so notice, at this point, Rehoboam gets good advice from the old guys. He gets bad advice from the young guys. So what should he do? What would you do if you were him? Probably go ask somebody else, right? I got bad advice. I got good advice. Let me go find somebody else who can give me some good advice. But notice what he does. He doesn't ask anybody else. He got the answer he wanted. And notice his arrogance. He goes back three days later, and he tells the crowd this in verse 12. Notice what it says. So, so uh, Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly and forsaking the counsel of the old men. King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by God, and the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. I'll tell you about that in a minute. So, uh, so Rehoboam tells the crowd his decision. Hey, guys, I know you asked for some lightening of the tax duty. I'm actually going to just hammer you with it. You're going to pay more. And if you complain, you're not going to get beat with whips. You're going to get beat with scorpions. And you can imagine how the crowd responded, right? Oh, great. Sounds good. Thanks. We're heading home. No, they revolt. They, they revolt. Look at, at uh, just how they respond. And here's the problem with pride and arrogance. It's like a racehorse with blinders on. Like all Rehoboam could see was right in front of him. It's what he wanted. And I do think that's, a, that's one of the challenges we have when we ask for advice. Is because if we're going to have a humble heart, we have to push away pride and arrogance. Otherwise, we're going to let what we want to overrule. And this is what happens to Rehoboam. So notice what's happening. His arrogance and pride just lead to complete failure in taking advice. And look at verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered to the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your house, own house, David. The people are like, Look, Rehoboam can't be our king. He doesn't care about us. Let's go. And so basically what they're saying here is we are going to revolt and we're going to move away from the kingdom and start our own kingdom, right? It's kind of like civil war, the South saying, look, we're going to go do our own thing. And so what happens is Rehoboam, who's over the house of Judah, lives in Jerusalem. He sent Hadaram, who was the taskmaster over the forced labor, to go try to make peace with the people. Now, let me ask you, if, if a prison, if every prisoner in a prison escaped, and you sent the warden to go try to make peace with him, how do you think that's going to go? Not very well, right? They send Hadaram, the taskmaster, the one who's going to have the whips and the scorpions, to try to make peace. What do you think they do? They killed him. It said they stoned him. Verse 18, that the people stoned him to death with stones. And so Rehoboam realizes that was a bad idea again. And so he gets on his horse and he goes back to Jerusalem because he, he realizes that he's going to lose his life too. And so it says in verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So here's what happens. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've seen God rescue the people of Israel from Egypt, lead them to the promised land, teach them how to be this new community. 
He then, he then sends them across the Jordan River to, to live in this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. He raises up, uh, they, they want a king a little earlier than he wanted, but they raise up King Saul, and then King David comes, and the nation thrives. Then King Solomon comes, and they become the, the height of the ancient Near East. And then Rehoboam comes, and now, 120 years later, the kingdom just splits. The thing just falls apart. I mean, it was like just King Rehoboam just poo-pooed his pants when it came to the, being king. And now we see that the whole thing splits. And so here's a map. Here's a map. I got dared to say that earlier, by the way. Here's a, here's a map. So the, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and kingdom of Judah, you have the northern ten uh, tribes. They split, and they become the kingdom of Israel. And then Judah, which is where Jerusalem was, and Benjamin, the, the, the tribe uh, just south, become the kingdom of Judah. And so now you have these two split kingdoms. And it's like, you guys ever watched that show or story of the Hatfield and McCoys? You guys ever see that one? That's what goes on for the next couple hundred years. You just have this fight between Israel and Judah. And by the way, if you know the story of the Hatfield and McCoys, it all started off someone thought their pig got stolen. So this is a little bigger than that, but still, same idea. So now you've got these two kingdoms that are at war with each other, and it turns into a mess. And so Rehoboam thinks he's got another good idea, and he's going to send 180,000 troops to go fight up in Israel, and the Lord sends a prophet and says, don't do it. Don't do it. And so thankfully, he listens. And so now you see this really interesting twist in the greater story. So I want to just hit pause there for a quick second. Notice what has happened. We have this great story of God building his people, establishing them to be a light to the nations. And now that's just divided. Why did God let that happen? I mean, if God worked so hard to rescue them from Egypt, if God worked so hard to keep them strong during the time of the judges, if God worked so hard to, to help establish this nation from under David and Solomon so they would be a light and help the world know about him, why would God let this divide it? What do you think about that? So I think the reason is that God allows them, just like he allows us, to experience the consequences of our rebellion. They never truly learned to worship God. They continued to hold on to all the Canaanite stuff. They ended up trying to do their own thing so often. King Solomon did his own thing. Rehoboam did his own thing. And so God was allowing them to experience the consequences of their sin. And so yet God built up this beautiful thing, but God wanted them to learn to live it. And he does the same thing in our lives. When we take bad advice or we make the bad decision or we divide over something, what ends up happening is often God is allowing us just to experience the sting and the pain of that because he wants to teach us a lesson through this. So notice there's a name that we keep seeing in this story, Jeroboam. We'll call him Jebo for short, right? Rebo and Jebo. Jeroboam, who is this guy? Well, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, you'll see that he lived in Egypt he was on the run from King Solomon. So Jeroboam was a servant of King Solomon's. He was actually the taskmaster for Solomon. And so Jeroboam actually one day is out running an errand, and there's a prophet that comes up to him, and he tears 10 pieces of, of, of a piece of cloth, and he gives them to Jeroboam. And he says, Jeroboam, someday you're going to be king of the northern tribes of Israel. So God actually prophesied this was going to happen because God knew their hearts were in the wrong place. So Jeroboam knew this. When Solomon found out about it, he tried to kill him. 
Because remember, Solomon lost his mind in his older age. Jeroboam ran to Egypt. So it's, it's no wonder that Jeroboam came back after Solomon died. And now he's the one pressing against Rehoboam because he has this prophecy in the back of his mind. But here's the question. If you're Jeroboam and God comes to you and says that you're going to be king of my nation, wouldn't you think that you would want to live and be king in a way that honored the God that gave you the kingship? One would think, right? I mean, the same with Rehoboam too. But, but notice what happens. So Jeroboam is named king and he goes and gets a bad advice too. And if you want to flip to 1 Kings 12, that's another place where you can read this entire story. Notice what happens in 1 Kings, or chapter 12. Check this out. So Jeroboam becomes king of Israel, of, of Israel now, the northern ten tribes. He goes and gets bad advice. And what he's saying in his heart is, well, the kingdom's going to turn back to, to Rehoboam if they go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. So I'm going to make a new temple here. And he asks his friends, and his friends are like, yeah, you should make a new temple in what we, come, what we now know as Samaria, right? And so he, look at this, in verse 28. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Where have we heard that before? Exodus, right? And notice what he says to the people. You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's the exact same thing that Israel did at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses was on the mountain. We talked about that about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And they're trying to take something and make it in the place of God again. They make an idol. What do you think this does to Israel? It steals their hearts away from God. And we see now this tumble. Israel now is worshiping false gods, idolatry, and this tumble. And so notice Rehoboam and Jeroboam both get terrible advice, and they both acted on it, and it split the kingdom, and it, in one side of it, stole the hearts away from God, and all because they thought they knew better than God did. And I'm gonna, and it all snowballs. Notice this. This is about 930 BC. Okay, from 930 BC to 721 BC, Israel just just tumbles snowballs into just terrible, uh, evil, pagan worship. And then we see the Assyrians come in and capture them. They take a lot of the Israelites to Assyria, and they move some of the people from Assyria into Israel, that northern kingdom. If you want to put that map back up again, to that northern kingdom. And so now what you have is this is the area of Samaria. So why is it called Samaria why are they not viewed? If you guys remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's because the Assyrians ended up marrying the Israelites. And so now the Israelites, the, the, the people in, in Judah, look at them as not really Jewish people. And that all happened in 721 BC. But it wasn't just Israel that experienced it. Because of Judah and their lack of faith, we see Babylon comes in and captures Judah in 607. And they get cap taken to captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So right here, with Rehoboam in 930 B.C., the kingdom splits, and within a few hundred years, they're just all captured and exiled. God's people just all taken away from their homes because of bad advice, bad people in their lives, and failure to truly trust and seek God. And I want you to imagine. Imagine that you are a man or a woman who was born in exile, and you come back to, to Jerusalem after exile, 
And you, you come back and you read these books, First and Second Chronicles. These, these books were written to chronicle what happened before uh, the, the exile with the kings. So these books were written after Israel came back from the exile. And you'll look at this and you might wonder, why does 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles tell the same story? Well, that's why. These were to retell what happened to the people who came back from exile. And imagine you're 20 years old and you sit down and you're reading these stories in 2 Chronicles. And you're wondering, why did God let this happen? God, you promised to David that you were going to create a, a line of kingship in his name. Why did you let this happen? God, why did you let the kingdom fall apart? And God, why did you allow all their, these bad kings to come? And I think there's a thread that you see here when you read these books. And I don't want you guys to miss it either. The reason we have these stories, the reason the Old Testament is important for us, is because it tells us that someone better is coming. That someone better than Saul is coming. That a king with more integrity than David is coming. That a king with, with more um, character than Solomon is coming. That a king with more humility than Rehoboam is coming. That someone with more integrity than Jeroboam is coming. And so imagine they're sitting there 400 years before Jesus was born wondering, what's going to happen? And you and I now have the, the privilege to be able to look back through Jesus and see that the king came. That King Jesus came. That the Old Testament is showing us that we need something better than an earthly king. The Old Testament is showing us that we need something better than just wise advisors. The Old Testament is showing us that what we needed was King Jesus, who came to bring the kingdom for us. That shows us that it's not about us, that it's bigger than us. And he calls us to live in this new kingdom of heaven together. And the good news is, for you and me, that godly advice and godly wisdom is available to all of us, to every single one of us. I'd like to invite the worship team back on stage as we close here in a few moments. And I just want to ask the question, what decisions do you need to make right now? What advice are you seeking? What is it that you are looking to trusted advisors or people in your life or your friends or your family and you're asking the right questions? What is it that you need to find out? And how do we learn to ask to make wise decisions. So if you're taking notes, I want to leave you real quick, just real quick, just a thought as we close today. Here's four steps to seeking godly advice. And I really want you guys to consider these, wrestle with these as you have to make decisions. This week, as you think about it, the first one is this. I think we can look at the story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and we can, we can flip it over and see where their folly was. And I think it's this. First thing we need to do is to start by spending time with Jesus. I mean, notice Rehoboam and Jeroboam, do we read at all that they went and asked God for what he wanted? No. Like Rehoboam and Jeroboam just went right in and started asking questions. So we have to start by spending time with Jesus because it's in that time with Jesus that he begins to prepare our hearts, to humble our hearts, to actually go and seek advice. So that's where it always has to start. Second one is this, that we need to seek the godliest people we know. We need to seek advice from the godliest people we know in our life. As we spend time with Jesus, we go and we ask people that we know that, that follow Jesus and that exhibit those lifestyles. Those lifestyles. And, and we go and we ask them, what do you guys think? We don't go straight to our friends 
that might be your friend, but we go to some godly people we know will speak into our life. And notice this third. Then we have to keep asking people you know will give you a truthful answer. Notice, Rehoboam goes, he gets an answer he doesn't like, and he goes and asks his friends and gets the one he does. And he stops there. We, we don't have a record that Jeroboam ever asks anybody else. And so we have to ask a multitude of people. When you have that decision you're asking for this week, how many people are you asking? One, two, three? Ask people who are going to give you a truthful answer. Not yes, because you want to hear yes. But they're going to actually speak truth to you. And the fourth one is this. Wait for God to give you clarity. Rehoboam jumped right in. Jeroboam jumped right in and ended up splitting the kingdom in half and ended in just a disastrous mess. Sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes we need to ask our friends and we need to ask godly people in our lives and we need to spend time with Jesus. But it means we need to sit on that decision for a little bit. Instead of feeling rushed, we need to wait. Because often it's in the waiting that God brings clarity to our minds and speaks truth to our hearts. So whatever you guys are going through, I want you to know as a church, we're here to pray through those decisions with you. But know that godly advice is available in this room, in our friend circles, but ultimately through Jesus. Would you guys pray with me?